tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello there, and thanks for joining us on the Join News Channel. This is The Polls. This afternoon at least 15 suspects have been killed by police in the last 18 months during various operations to arrest criminals. The latest incident has sparked calls yet again for an independent probe. We take you to Parliament where discussions are underway. Coming up, the special prosecutor has mounted a search for the former secretary to the Interministerial Committee on Illegal Mining. Of course, uh, the man is Charles P.C. We'll be talking about why the OSP is after him. Plus, in another uh, development, the domestic debt exchange program is on the horizon. Fitch is predicting that there may be a second round of debt restructuring taking place here in the country. It's all coming up here on the polls uh, on the Join News channel. We're on DSTV channel 421. I am blessed to so Join News is independent, fearless, and credible. We'll be back with details shortly. Please stay. And this afternoon, uh, is learning of some dialogue which is underway at the headquarters of the Institute of Economic Affairs, which is focused on uh, reforming or reviewing Ghana's 1992 constitution. And currently, some uh, personalities have been sharing their thoughts in your short days. Uh, of course, uh, uh, some individuals have been sharing their, their thoughts as uh, the dialogue is underway. We cross over now and listening to the conversation. The U.S. is indeed against his and use his influence to end his tenure. By the very composition of the Council of State, who gives the President of the day the right to appoint as many as 11 members of the Council, and given the politicization of the election of regional members of the Council, it can be argued that the Governor of the day can pack the Council. My concern is that members of the Council of State are never accountable to the electorate. I prefer a system that allows the president to be held fully accountable for all his actions, including the appointment of his ministers and advisors. I'm aware that such a measure, as I suggested, would lead to many changes since under the current constitution, the council has called on to add its blessing to many decisions, particularly in the matter of appointments by the presidency. I sincerely believe that one way we can ensure checks and balances in our governance system is to have strong institutions. 
powers and above all to have a true separation of powers as operates in the U.S. where Congress is able to impose death ceilings on the executive and then independent judiciary equally holds both Congress and the executive in check. Then I come to Article 71 and S. Gracia. Given the controversy surrounding Article 71, any constitutional review will have no choice than to make some critical amendments and some clarification on the issue. For instance, members of the NMC as Article 71 holders do not receive S. Gracia, defined to mean in the case of beneficiaries of S. Gracia as end-of-term benefits. What they receive as NMC members is accumulated back pay. I fully support the recommendation of the CRC backed by the government's white paper that the monuments of all public officers, which include accept one holders, should be determined by an independent emoluments commission which will have as part of its structure the Fair Wages and Service Commission. This change will be politicized all, all the perennial hulibalu about S. Gracia and bring some parity and fairness into emoluments paid to public servants. As the CRC ably highlighted, Ghana, after years of living under the 1992 constitution, would love to see some amendments to strengthen and consolidate the many gains of the 1992 constitution. I hold a view that the journey for a review of the 1992 constitution that started with the Mills administration must be completed in the nearest future. A careful reading of the report of the CRC shows that they favored the retention of many provisions in the 1992 constitution, arguing that many provisions that the public wanted to be amended had served the nation well and not robbed the boot. In adopting that position, they were probably guided by the sentiments of an American politician that the constitution, and I quote, is a document that should only be amended with great caution. Thomas Jefferson, the third U.S. president, who was one of the authors of the U.S. Declaration of Independence and drafters of the U.S. Constitution shared a similar view when he wrote that, and I quote, I'm certainly not an advocate, and drafters of the U.S. Constitution shared a similar view when he wrote that, and I quote, I'm certainly not an advocate. Yeah, and so how well are we born with, because when once known, we accommodate ourselves to them and find practical means of correcting their ill effects. However, after advising us at all times to make the best out of what we have now, not so much a perfect document, but a guide all the same for good governance. The words of an author, which I quote in conclusion, tells me that in the end, at the end of the day, good and visionary leadership can be the key to making the best out of the 1902 constitution. And I quote this author, however good a constitution may be, if those who are implementing it are not good, it will prove to be bad. However bad a constitution may be, if those implemented it are good, it will prove to be good. I want to repeat, however good a constitution may be, if those who are implementing it are not good, it will prove to be bad. However bad a constitution may be, if those implemented it, implementing it are good, it will prove to be good. I think this is a food for thought for all those who aspire 
uh, to lead the nation. Thanks for your attention. Uh, you see live pictures there from the Institute of Economic Affairs. Uh, conversation going on on reviewing Ghana's 1992 constitution. Cabral Blay uh, Amehe, Ambassador Retired, also uh, sharing his thoughts on uh, a number of uh, issues and how he believes, of course, Ghana's constitution could be uh, reviewed for the better. We'll keep monitoring developments going on there. There's a dialogue expected uh, with a raft of uh, statesmen uh, and a number of individuals who are lined up. And to make their appearance uh, and also to contribute to this raging national conversation. You're watching The Pulse on the Join News Channel this afternoon as well. Parliament's Defence and Interior Committee has been uh, handed uh, the responsibility to assess if there's a cause to launch a full-scale parliamentary probe into circumstances that led to police shooting dead five persons in uh, Botiano in the Gan South Municipality of the Greater Accra Region. The recent killing brings uh, to at least 15 the number of persons shot by the police in just 18 months. The latest incident in the Botiano uh, area, which is the Botiano shooting of uh, suspected land guards, uh, which sparks calls uh, yet again for another independent probe into matters relating to extrajudicial killings. We'll take you to Parliament where uh, MPs have been discussing the matter uh, this uh, afternoon. But before then, uh, there's a report that's been filed by my colleague Pakwisi Shandoff, who's visited the area and now reports. A visit to the Akwasa Hill near Tuba in the Gisout municipality of the Greater Accra region, where five persons suspected to be Langards were shot by the police on Saturday, showed what looked like a ghosted town. According to the residents, they are currently living in fear due to the violent incident. As a result, they refused to speak on camera but we caught up with the owner of the farmland where the incident reportedly happened in his account he noted that he was absent at the time of the incident but could if he were available according to him he's presently living in fear with his family adding that the farm is his only source of livelihood which has now become a reference point of the said violence Speaking to the news team, he further indicated that the men who were killed were not land guards, as had been reported by the police, but are part of the traditional outfits in the area known in the local guard dialect as
This matter has come up strongly on the floor of parliament today. It was first triggered with a statement made by the member of parliament for that area, um, the Honorable Sylvester Tete, who himself is actually corroborating what the man in the insert we just played just said, that the persons who allegedly the police shot and claims were Langard were actually not Langard. So the member of parliament have been making that consideration on the floor of the, of, of the house today. And I've been asking MPs and Parliament to probe into the matter to really bring this matter to finality. And blessed, I must say that within the last one year, this is about the fifth time members of Parliament have had to make statements about so-called extrajudicial killings by the police mm. in their constituencies with claims that either the police were either these persons were armed robbers or some miscreants. The member of Parliament clearly disagrees with the police assessment of that situation and had been asking Parliament to consider proving this matter. Indeed, we've also heard from James Agaga, who is the ranking member of the Defence and Interior Committee, who is also very concerned that it seems as though it's only the police who have this information, that this, the police will simply match such persons, tell them, and then claim that they were armed robbers or the persons fermenting trouble. And that in a particular instance of this, there are no real witnesses to corroborate the claims of the police that these persons who have been killed were actually um, were landguards or miscreants or persons fermenting trouble within the area. So the debate went on largely, but both sides did agree that Parliament have to look into this matter. And so the Speaker has referred this latest police killing to the Defence and Interior Committee, as well as the Parliamentary Committee on Parliamentary Affairs, mm. Legal Affairs and Constitutional Matters. To look into this matter, okay. reporting are, are the concerns just about the numbers, or there's more to it? Well, the the the, the real bone of contention of MPs, and indeed the statement that were delivered today on the floor, is that it appears the police pounces on such persons, and then just kills them, and then comes back to say that these persons were either armed robbers or whatever, and that that the police story do not really do not really add up. 
That is the kind of concerns that MPs have shared. We also heard from the MP for Guapa South, Samuel Atatia, who actually said that parliamentary committees can actually take up some of these matters and investigate on their own without having to come up to the floor to get the referral of parliament. So the bone of contention, the real meat of the MP's concerns are that the police's story do not seem to add up. They have been referencing the, 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 the recent matter in Asawase, where police killed about seven people and said that they were armed robbers. An independent inquiry actually established that those persons were not actually armed robbers. And the police had just undertaken an extrajudicial exercise of killing these persons. Although there had been concerns and there had been recommendations to compensate these families, the lives lost of these families members is way more than the compensation that the state will have to give to these persons. And so MPs are concerned seriously that the police must have a certain standard operating procedure right. to be working on this and not be killing persons and be coming back. The last concern that should come up is that there must be an independent police ombudsman of a sort who will be investigating this claim so that even every now and then, Parliament does not have to go in to um, consider a probe. Uh, when is the committee expected to report back to the Speaker? So specific timelines have not been given, but given the urgency of this matter, we expect that the committee is going to meet as soon as tomorrow to firm out modalities in terms of how this group is going to be undertaken and which persons they are going to call as witnesses. We expect that the committee will visit the area as soon as this week or early next week to ascertain firsthand what exactly might have happened in terms of what exactly they are going to do. But we expect that a report should come before Parliament will go on break okay. at the end of July. Uh, thanks for giving us that update. Quick question to my colleague joining us uh, from uh, Parliament, where, of course, deliberations are ongoing about extrajudicial killings. Uh, having uh, learned of this uh, latest report that my colleague, Vakwisi Shandov, has just told us about the Botiano uh, shooting incident. So let's hear from Richard Komando. Uh, he's a security and, uh, of course, fraud uh, analyst uh, joining us on this matter. And uh, each time this comes up, uh, the police perspective or story is deemed to be sacrosanct where we don't challenge it and it goes mostly unpunished simply because this is the police they can't lie can they no i think that line of the police is becoming one or two many and i can understand the nature of uh, land guards and their activities as a threat to national security but the police have been found many times to be carelessly killing people or in the name of law enforcement. And we can have people to enforce the law who now become killers of our brethren, our family. And we can't do anything about it. I have lived in Botiano many years. I have families there. I was there to see the place. And I think I can understand the fear of the man who spoke, even though I don't know him in person. But you can understand what they are going through. It took them by surprise. And I was so disappointed once again of the activities of the police in this particular issue. Uh, what more could the Parliamentary Committee on Defence and Interior do, uh, given the fact that this would be about the police? They were on the grounds uh, giving the command, by the way. You're, you're probing an institution that sent out its own men. They'll shield them, definitely. Now, I, I would have loved uh, an independent lawyer who sued the police or Parliament to establish what we call crime and justice uh, you know, committee which will work directly with independent consultants in the security risk assessment environment. The police have watered so many things that are the ground. And even though I believe 
this committee have the capacity and they are capable of investigating some of these things. I think we are sweeping too many of them under the carpet and it's not looking too well. The police cannot be killing people and getting away with it. It is unfortunate and it is not too necessary at all. Their lines do not add up. And for once, somebody would need to say to their face that what they are doing is criminal and it got to stop at some other point in time. And this particular, particular area in question, the Botiano community, uh, you're very conversant with the area. Definitely. Land, yeah, but, but the issue of land guard uh, and the activities uh, cannot uh, be overlooked within that, that enclave. Okay, so there are three things involved. You see, the police established, considering the nature and the terrorizing nature of activities of land guard, the police in their wisdom established the anti-land guard department at the police operations department at the CID and they also established the counterintelligence or the counterterrorism department. These two departments work hand in hand. Anti-Luke used to be the head of the anti-land guard department and they were doing so, so well. I have referred several cases to them. These are guys who don't take bribes from people. They work with lawyers, they work with independent people and they were working so well. All of a sudden, I don't know what happened, until look who was transferred to Brother Florida, many of the guys there have been transferred. My understanding is that that department will not be there anymore. Then we have all other persons taken in charge of land guard activities. Blessed, ask yourself, which department do these police officers come from? And who gave the instruction? What was the total number of police officers to the ground? What was the danger of these people to the police? When you look at the police pictures and the guns they were displaying, they retrieved from the people. People who understand guns and the chemistry of guns will understand that something is not adding right. And considering the fact that I have worked with the BNI for many years and I see myself as a law enforcement officer, mostly I speak for the police. So when I have to say things to the contrary, I feel a great deal of pain within my heart. But we are talking about the loss of a life, which is becoming one of too many. I'm just saying that my big brothers and sisters in uniform, let's be a bit more circumspect, let's be protective, and let's do the work of a law enforcement officer, taking the safety as a priority of this state and not to be killing the people. Uh, and the feeling is, each time the conversation comes up, it's as though we are not mindful that these servicemen also have their lives to protect. That is why we signed on to law enforcement. And I had many journalists ask me that. I said today you are speaking to me as a consultant, a national asset. Bless that I have slept in Awudume Cemetery for years. Bless that there were many times when guns were pointed to my head. Bless that when Yanan died and I was sent to war, I was sent to Yendi. My senior officer was on the motorbike. He was shot dead. We have, we have signed on unto death. And that is part of the work we do. We cannot be claiming to be claiming our safety and just be shooting people and killing them. Look at your reporter saying that the man has been farming on that land since 1997. This is a farming land. Who even owned this land? Who sold the land to who? And who is bodyguarding this land as a land guard? Please, our training and our safety goes beyond our personal protection. That is why we sign on as law enforcement officers. And if needed those in the secret service, you'll be surprised to know that we stand on us to a food that says that we do not exist. Our families can't even have us again, whether we are in or we are out. I can understand the risk nature of the job we do, 
but we cannot be said to be the one killing the people when the people entrust their lives onto it. And the state is counting on it to protect the people and not to be killing them. I would agree with everybody who says that this particular one will need to be investigated. Because, brother, you know why? No punishable of offenses rationalizes bad behavior and promotes antisocial tendencies, whether within the uh, security service agencies or the security agencies in general or in the public. And do we have the moral right to set the civilians to behave right when we go with a gun in our hands to kill them? It's unfortunate, and I'm not too happy with this particular one. My people are involved, and we should stop that and just do what is right. The feeling is that um, once we go into the parliamentary session, we're likely to see the Interior and Defence Committee probe this matter. It may become political. How about saving the country and having the Ghana Police Service itself account to the people on what may have transpired. I agree. Definitely agree. And once politics comes in, NDC, MPP, it will take political lines and the truth will never come out. That is what I would have been happy if, you know, private legal practitioners could sue the police in this particular case. In the case of George Floyd in the U.S., which we have been referring to in many of these cases, it was independent lawyers who sued the police department. And I think that independent people who will not be so emotional and who will not be partisan, should get involved and let's probe into this case. Other than that, once politics comes in, it, it will mess up the system. Then again, the police, the police have the institution that let's have due diligence unit within the police department or within the local sector. The due diligence department could have done this. They could have so simply to say that we err at this point. It could be training. It could be new people. It could be the department will put the people from. It could be lack of understanding and clarity of purpose in the field. It could be something that has gone wrong, and we could press ourselves and issue a statement. Then those who found foul of the law, some corrections could be done. But we are silent on it. We don't want to establish those departments, and we just carry it on as law enforcement as usual. We are becoming unproductive, and I think we can do far better than this. What, what's your expectation from the IGP? I know Dan Paris so well. I, I know his leadership is by front leading. I don't know whether he's aware of this particular uh, assignment, and I don't know whether he has heard about it and the backlash is, is bringing into the whole place. I think he needs to do what is right, like he has done over the years. I know he's good at interdicting people, but let this one go beyond interdicting the officers in charge, and let it be that he has taken charge and the writing is done. Let's see some level of, uh, you know, uh, reprimanding and let's see some level of uh, uh, sucking down with the families involved. And I lay the appears that he's here at IGP and he will do what is right at all times. I saw he's a man of God and that is why he has been there to be working for the state. Uh, are you confident that if the police service is to carry out their own audits, this will come up with, with some candid findings? I know Dan Parry, if he wants to do it, he will do it, unless he doesn't want to do it. If he wants to do it, he will come forward and he will lead the team, he will lead the charge, and said we have air on this one, and this particular one I'm taking personal responsibility, because after all, he's the IGP. I know Dan Parry so well. If he wants to do it, he will do it. And I am calling on him personally to take charge of this particular exercise, because something has gone wrong, and human life has been lost, as carelessness of some of his many uniforms.
And uh, of course, once we have this, residents may, may still be in that um, situation where they, they're feeling very insecure. And w what security measures could we be taking to de-escalate tension? Of course, personal safety and personal security is important for the residents there. It was after I went there that I realized that this might not look like land guard issue, even though land guard issues have been with us all over the country. And what they can do, back to the IGP again, his presence in the area will bring some level of confidence and comfort to the people. He's going to speak to the families involved. He's going to say that we have had. He's going to say that I'm leading the charge, like he has done in the past in some other cases. It will lay the fears of the people. The parliamentary group get into the area. Then people realize that the state has taken interest in our welfare and they are coming to control with us. And they could, you know, provide some level of comfort. I will be happy to go with psychologists to even talk to the people and to ensure that those who are traumatized could be brought home and will come back to where we were before the incident. These are some few things they can do. Then that level of engagement, which I know Dampare is good at, it will bring down some level of tension and people will relate with one another, particularly the police who need the general public to be able to fight crime and to win the war against crime in this country. For the time that um, Richard Kumado, security analyst, joining us uh, in this whole conversation. Thank you. We, we wait to see what it is that Parliament uh, will say on this matter and what the final decision uh, will be. But time now to focus on the economy. Ghana has a long way to go uh, to restructure its uh, more than 400 billion cities of debt. Well, if you're wondering why, that's the accession uh, coming through uh, from ratings agency Feech. And according to the UK-based... Uh, firm uh, that could be a second round of domestic debt exchange yes it's it's likely to happen because ghana is seeking um obviously to restructure and to get some debt relief of about 10.5 billion dollars from its external creditors for the next four years so speaking on key credit scores of uh, African uh, sovereigns and banks. We have the senior director in charge of uh, emerging markets economies at Fitch, Toby uh, Als, indicating that talks on the external debt restructuring have kept really long. Well, the official credit committee has not met, um, and so that's quite a big delay. It's not really obvious why there should be such a delay, given that it's just a sort of technical thing they just have to meet. But, you know, I guess news from the IMF, the noises from the IMF have been quite positive. Um, and Ghana's 2023 budget sort of put forward some fiscal consolidation measures. So the IMF seem, seems to be pushing pretty hard. Um, but still, I mean, we haven't had the official creditor committee yet. So um, there's still quite a long way to go. Maybe the historic track record on the common framework of moving very slowly, maybe that's not a great guide. Maybe Ghana could be a bit different. But um, there's still quite a lot of work to do, and especially, as I mentioned, given that there might be more happening on the domestic debt front as well. 
sad reality in which we find ourselves today. Uh, what's the likely impact and what's accounting for this, first of all? Let's get to it. Uh, we'll do the analysis shortly. Isaac of VHA's uh, data analyst here at Join is watching all of the figures for us. Uh, Isaac, I'm seeing some 85% participation rate. That was yeah. our last debt restructuring in terms of the domestic market. The fear is that we may have to carry out a second one. Why? Well, I'm, I'm not too surprised because if you look at this 85% participation rate, it was just because we reduced the initial target, which was around 137 uh, billion Ghana cities that we wanted to restructure. It's on your screens right now. This was the initial target when we, we launched the domestic debt exchange program. The whole idea was to restructure 137 billion you know, Ghana cities. Now, upon several review uh, revisions, we ended up you know, with this target, uh, you know, 97.7 billion Ghana cities, and we ended up restructuring close to 90 billion of it, which gave you that 85% participation rate. But there's a loose clause in the, the whole domestic exchange memorandum, and you shouldn't be surprised if government comes back to, to conduct a future, you know, exchange program. It says that, you know, in the first exchange that we've done, this is the current exchange but should, any, should there be any you know, offer to exchange other debts probably in the future, which probably could be anytime soon, mm -hmm. um, probably treasury bills is not included in this exchange, but they may be included uh, in, the, in the, you know, the, the future so that's the exchange. It, it's, it's, in the, it's in the memorandum. And if you, if you read the memorandum, you see some of this clause in there. What government did in bringing down the target from 137 to uh, 97 billion, it, it gave government a huge deficit, close to 40 billion. So you ask yourself, the initial target was 137, government ended up only doing about 90 billion. That huge deficit of uh, 40 billion Ghana cities, who is actually, you know, holding <laughs> all of yeah. this, you know, uh, uh, debt? But Individual groups, uh, individuals and groups have been asked to come back to the negotiation table. Uh, the first group uh, in this whole domestic debt exchange program to start, you know, a campaign against it was Labour. They said completely they didn't want to participate, don't touch our pension funds. They were given a, a complete exemption. It was outright, but right now they are being asked to come back to the negotiation table for fresh talks. And they've rejected this. Uh, government is hoping to restructure about uh, $2.7 billion of debt that they owe to labor. We have also individual bondholders in there. Then pension, you know, individual bondholders also agitating that they don't want to participate in this whole debt exchange program. Government should just go ahead and pay their principals. And, and Isaac, I want us to talk about the IPPs, uh, the mm. independent power producers, because uh, that featured when, uh, of course, we had the World Bank country rep speak to, um, of course, the business team mm. indicating that that's a, an area where government needs to work on the, pay, uh, the, the take or pay uh, and its impact on our economy. So could that be the alternative to sparing at least individual savings and the savings of uh, many corporate organizations? Well, it could be, but you know, if you are doing restructuring of IPPs, it's important because the IPP that we are talking about is held in dollars, uh, close to $1.53 billion that we're talking about here. And if you want to do an external debt restructuring of which you aim to restructure about $11 billion U.S. dollars, 
you can't go ahead and touch uh, farms of external people without going ahead to touch that of those who are in the domestic market. Remember, you know, external persons who came to invest in our economy, about 1.6 billion U.S. dollars, were included in the domestic debt exchange program and were given a haircut. And so this is the reason why the IPP is important because at the moment, if you look at government expenditure for this year, mm -hmm. um, interest payment alone is around $5 billion. And if you look at the IPP debts, we are restructuring because we don't have that fiscal space uh, to do it currently. So if you want to go ahead and term your external debt restructuring as successful, mm -hmm. then you need to start from okay, your own Okay, here's backyard. the thing. Uh, at the time, uh, this whole creditor committee issue came up. Uh, we still had a fund program, mm. by the way, the IMF approving that it will go ahead. All we had was an assurance. Exactly. Um, what's likely to happen to the external debt restructuring and how is that crucial to the domestic conversation? Well, there's, there's a template for us to follow. Remember that you needed just an assurance for you to secure an IMF deal. Now, after the assurance, you get your first tranche. Some of the monies will start coming in. But the subsequent disbursement will be hinged, will hinged on or will be conditioned on you doing actual restructuring. So you need to meet the, the respective creditors individually and present um, an offer to them. You need to meet China alone. You need to meet the Eurobond uh, creditors. You need to meet so many other uh, you know, uh, bilateral creditors. And you're hoping to do this to cut down about 11 billion US dollars. And so if you are tackling this huge amount of money, you can't you know, still fall on the assurance that you gained to give you that your first tranche or your first disbursement in the subsequent ones. If you do not do the actual restructuring, you're going to face consequences because it simply does not give the IMF the confidence that if they continue to pour money in your economy, what are you really going to use this money for? Are you going to um, you know, use them to pay interest or you're going to use them to do uh, you know, what you're supposed to use it in the program? And so that is the reason why going forward it will be important to do actual restructuring okay. to have actual agreement mm. uh, with our you know creditors as it stands now we just have uh, Isaac, let, let's of course wrap up by connecting this to what's happening domestically already individual bondholders uh, by extension the pensioner bondholders uh, do not seem to be happy with the way the approach uh, which government is going about payments on uh, maturities and all of that. And many are wondering what the next impact may be. Will this be significant if government decides to be more stern on individuals such as the pensioner bondholders and those who are exempt, by the way? Well, as it stands, the government would have to consider, you know, weigh and see the opportunity cost because the more you wait, the more these uh, credit ratings agencies like Fitch will come at you, giving you downgrades. Because mind you, you gave individual bondholders an assurance that this is a voluntary participation. And so if you decide not to participate, you are sure that your monies were going to be paid to you, principal interest. And so if you go ahead this way and keep postponing and, and keep you know, failing to uh, meet your debt obligation or servicing, then it's giving... Um, um, ratings agencies like Fitch and Moody's also yeah. the, 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 the impetus to go ahead to give right. downgrades. Remember, last year we suffered about 
11 respective downgrades and we don't want to go that same line. Uh, it's certainly a place we don't want to uh, get Absolutely. to, uh, knowing that the president says he is, uh, of course, hopeful that we'll be able to go back um, to the international markets for more. Isaac Ophiete joining us with the latest uh, on that in terms of the figures and what the implications are for you. Let's get to the actuals and <laughs> those who are feeling the hit of it. Uh, Fitch has made his predictions. Dr. Edwanani Anchi uh, is the former Director General of uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission. He's also uh, the lead convener for uh, the pensioner bondholders. He's joining us now, having heard and read about this latest news that we're hearing of. Doc, how are you feeling about this? First of all, knowing that there's a likely impact on what's happening domestically. Yes. Um, that's why we have always been complaining that we need to build back confidence. Mm. So whatever the government is doing should be targeted at ensuring that public confidence will return to the market. And so if you keep on making your bonds, I mean these uh, old bonds, mm -hmm. uh, look so unattractive. In fact, it's, it's continuously being in default. It's in default because once you default right. payment of interest, you are in default. If it's principal, we have even defaulted in the payment of interest and also principal. Mm. So you don't make yourself attractive. And so when you hear that uh, people and government want to go outside mm. and tap the outside market, uh, uh, you, you wonder how can you do that? Yeah. When Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. You have been able to build your local, the, the confidence in your local market, mm -hmm. domestic, yeah. is eroded. So I think if government want to do something, uh, it must make sure that the local bonds market confidence is restored in not even the bonds market, mm -hmm. but I, I, I have some other mm -hmm. uh, issues that I'm dealing with mm -hmm. in this market. The total capital, the financial market, we should bring back confidence in the, in, in the financial yeah. well, We're still running an eye on the program, and you're mindful of that. The, the shortfall in the targets that we even set for ourselves, a shortfall of about 40 plus billion, we need to meet that target. What's the alternative? Well, for me, government said the 85 was mm -hmm. successful. Mm -hmm. uh, we all were not sure 85 of what figure. Because by the time government said wanted the 85, yeah. we knew there were uh, a higher figure in terms of the debt to be restructured. Mm -hmm. But when the results came out, we were told some debt has been converted into treasury bills. And so the debt level that was uh, uh, used, in, in which case, in, in, in that case, giving us 85% was lower. Mm -hmm than the original, but this is what the Ministry of Finance said was to be successful once we have gotten 85. So for me, as I sit here, I say, well, if you've gotten your 85, then you have been successful. So why do you come back to say you still need to restructure? If you are saying that, then of course it means 
your 85 was not that 85, mm -hmm. because if your 85 was based, based on a smaller value, instead of the original big value you wanted to restructure, then perhaps maybe you were able to restructure, let's say, about 60 or 65. Mm -hmm. Then we, we will know that, yes, we didn't get all mm -hmm. the 85 to be successful. But when you came out to say you had 85 and you are successful, then let the, 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 the public also uh, think that, that we are successful. Okay. For, for, me, for me, this is bringing back the conversation we had earlier about um, the issue of exemption. It came up strongly, and of course you were one of the persons arguing for that, that if you do a voluntary exemption, there's a difference from the legal exemption, which means it's statutory, uh, it's backed by uh, the policy of the Ministry of Finance, and so uh, many of you may not suffer the impact. Given the fact that there's this likely second round of domestic debt exchange that will happen, is this the time but, that, that, well, you, that you call for that, a clear message, clear indication, much more clearer than it was in the past? Well, the second round that uh, is being talked about, mm. uh, the ministry always comes out to say, no, we are not going to do something. And uh, what I also uh, know is that if the ministry was going to do something at all, it would be along the lines of their MOU that they had with the, uh, the labor. Yeah. And I think they said so. In the, in the agreement, they have said they would work together to ensure that they can do something uh, mutually beneficial to ensure that our debt uh, sustainability level is, is achieved. So whatever they have to do to ensure that it is, it is left for them to, to do that. So if they are doing, going to do that, I will not say it's a second round of debt restructuring. Of course, the government also came to say that they may also be looking at the, the local dollar bonds yeah. that they have issued. And I, I, I think I read also that they were even looking at uh, cocoa bills, which oh. I didn't know why even cocoa they bills want to go then. should be even mentioned. Right. But that is what the news was uh, saying. Mm. So if you want to do for the dollar, uh, local dollar bond, they haven't done it. So if they want to do it, that's a different matter. So it means that wasn't touched uh, in, uh, in the first restructuring. But I don't think if anybody is talking about second restructuring, it will be like bringing people who were exempted previously into the, the, the program. But I say so because... For us, our exemption, it was not a condition. It was based on no condition. It was total exemption. Mm -hmm. But the labor one, it was on condition that they may come back and talk later on to do something mm -hmm. that will help. They also come to... Will you feel surprised if the finance minister backtracks on that? On the labor one? On your side. Ours, he cannot backtrack. He cannot, it's, it's all conditional. How certain? We didn't have... <laughs> he can't. Once exempted, mm -hmm. always exempted. There was no condition whatsoever. So he, he can't come back. And my you, these are matters which has been uh, entered into the records of the parliament. If you go and take the parliamentary records, it's there. Right. Clear, black and white. Yeah, but, but it's as simple as that, going back to parliament, explaining that we have a Well, if he wants to go back. Uh, and simply revoking that, that, if that you want to cover go back, you have. 
But I don't think that will be. You see, and, and that's why I'm asking you what you will do and how you feel. We must, if the finance minister decides to back credibility back. in our market. You can't be saying things today. You say something, then the next day you go and change it. You say this, you go and change. We will be shooting ourselves by not being credible, and especially in the financial mm. market. Credibility is key in the financial market. So if we see you today, you say this, the next day, so I don't think the minister will wake up. And, and here you are. You're, I'm going to do yeah, that. You yeah, will have destroyed I see. completely the market. Mm, but, but you're a man of many hats, and you, and you know about the markets, you know about the figures, you know about the size of what's happening now. What do you think is going through the minds of many of your colleagues, those who are pensioner bondholders, and are wondering what may happen to their funds? Well, that that's, is there, uh, everybody. You see, uh, and that's why I said you, you must calm the market. I believe that if we want to do it right, we can do it right. And I, 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 I started saying that government should start borrowing a little more every week from the Treasury bill market and be servicing this. The government didn't do that. It waited after all these bills has become the maturity and the bonds that... Uh, the coupons that were due has become huge. You wanted to go and borrow uh, extra one billion in a week. You needed two point something billion to retire bond, uh, maturing bills. Uh, you 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 asked for three point something, which was one billion more. Yeah. And that was the week was well, that week that the government has assured us that they were going to pay everything. So, if we went into the market with that huge. You, 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 you send the market uh, you know, uh, up, up, up in terms of uh, the risk. Okay. Let's talk about the way forward now. Uh, your matters are still outstanding, I believe, and there are obviously some engagement you're still carrying out. But what's the way forward and what assurances are you getting from government um, on your concerns, specifically well, about the Well, the assurance we holders? got last week when we met the Deputy Minister of Finance was that we are going to immediately pay the outstanding coupons, which was five in all, uh, as at 29th. Mm. And then they have also assured us that they have given uh, specific uh, instructions to the controller and country general to prioritize the payment of uh, coupons, mm. which to me means as soon as the coupons are due, they must ensure that it's paid. Mm. So we have taken that. And the third one was that uh, the four coupons from uh, principals, right. which we were uh, asking for interest on them because of the long delay, that was also going to be paid. Government said we should give uh, it two weeks. Mm. And so one week has gone, this the second week, they have started uh, paying both the coupons and the principals. And we believe and hope that by the end of this week, they would have cleared all that. And then there are other uh, 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 coupons that also has come up this June. Right. And since government says it has ordered or instructed the, the uh, accountant general to prioritize that, we believe that also must be paid. Otherwise, if by next week, uh, Monday, some other may even also be due, uh, we wait Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, if there is still any coupon or any principal are still in arrears that has not been paid. That is where... Do Dr. Entry, are you certain that government may not be overwhelmed 
by by settling your demands? Well, well, government should know, and and that's why I always say, government should look at its cash flow well. You know, government should look at its cash flow well. And we have always been saying, if there is a need for it to cut some areas, cut those areas, you know, if you cut those areas, it doesn't affect the financial market the way it has, the effect of the financial market. If you are, you keep on defaulting on these bonds, rather than if you had cut some expenditure somewhere and paid this, so that your financial market will be, that is where you can get the money always. Look, today, I, I, before I, on my way, I, I went to an office and somebody met me and said, Doc, how is it? Is it uh, going well? I said, well, we are, we, are, we are on it. And could you believe? He said he has some money. He wanted to buy a treasury bill. But he's still afraid and he's keeping the money in his, his, right. his room. Somebody who is a middle... Supposed uh, to know. Yes, uh, you know, <laughs> not any other, no. Right. You know, he said he's keeping the money. Because they don't know what is going to happen. And it's true. People, even the treasury bill market that is left for government to borrow, people are doing more of nine, uh, three months and nine months, if you look at the, 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 the statistics. Many people are doing that one. They are not doing the 365 days. And you could not be, you can't be using three months uh, 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 funding yeah. or eight months or six months funding to do your developmental projects in this country. Right. You need to have long-term capital. And if you don't do this well to open up the bonds market and you think you are doing this and it's affecting just because people are holding on to the old bonds, you are, you, are, you, are, you are shooting yourself because you can't bring back the bonds market for you to be able to borrow long-term mm -hmm. For your long-term development we need to go but uh, as we wrap up you have your own understanding and perspective on this current uh, imf deal that we are running uh, if you look into that crystal ball what's your prediction in terms of outlook for our economy and possibly the impact for businesses well for me if we do our things well and sometimes that is why uh, this imf program where you go in because of the discipline mm -hmm. Uh, it imposes on you. Right. The things that we don't have to do, we are doing. So if they say, say don't do this, don't do this, and we, 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 we are able not to do that, I believe we will succeed. But the whole thing is how to bring back public confidence in this market. The public confidence so that government can have access to the market. And therefore, I'm saying that stability is important. That's why I, have, I keep on saying that you can't stabilize this market when people's funds are still locked up in this financial. There's a bigger uh, discussion that we have to have. People's funds are locked up in this financial market. You'd only talk about financial stability without people getting their money back, which is locked, back to themselves for them to use. We are just talking, and it, it won't happen. Financial stability, unless people have gotten their money back. So let us all work together and ensure that we are bringing public confidence back to the market and then stability will be yeah. achieved. Certainly. Uh, stability, certainty is all we are yes. looking for, but it all needs to start with a good program and good physical measures in, in this time. And Dr. Eduan Anianchi, uh, you've been fighting.
a good course, I believe. It, it, it's, it's at all on you personally. Yes, 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 yes. You are not resting, you know. Keep on people calling you, and you have to respond. Sometimes you are you going to sleep early morning, people are calling you, and sometimes if you give them the, oh, don't worry, this will be. So people are really going through certain things that they needed you to speak with them, to give them the assurance that, wait, don't do this, it will be well. I see. It shall be well. Yes. That's all. That's all we're grateful. <laughs> Dr. Duan Nianji, thank you for joining us here uh, on The Pulse. You're with us on The Pulse on the Johnny Channel. When we return, uh, we'll talk about the Office of the Special Prosecutor and why uh, the office wants the former secretary to the Inter-Ministerial Committee Against Illegal Mining arrested. Charles BCU is in the news. We'll talk about him afterwards. Free debit card save while you spend and an amazing chance to double your salary a hundred seven and even more consolation rewards in the Ecobank double salary promo reloaded Vimwo this Ecobank salary account sounds interesting what do you think? Uh, uh, yeah. But maybe next time Charlie you know what I'd go shine my shoe hey. Yo myself I'd go check my BP we going up never go down and we stay flat Open an Ecobank salary account today for a lifetime of benefits. You also stand a chance to win more than double your salary in the Ecobank double salary promo reloaded from now till July 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Under the supervision of the National Lottery Authority under the Caritas Lottery Platform. The Pan-African Bank. Smile, hmm? Look lively, okay? 
Smile, smile. Is the money too small? A bad stomach ruins your day. Don't let it. Take Gastron, your most effective antacid, for the relief of symptoms of peptic ulcer, heartburn, gas pain, flatulence, and indigestion. Hey guys, what are you waiting for? Let's go, let's go. Mwah. Can you bring down that smile more? <laughs> Gastro, effective relief from stomach discomfort. Manufactured and distributed by NS Chemist Limited. This advertisement has been approved. Starting this soon on Joy News, we connect you to the rest of the continent on Connect Africa with me, Blessed Suga. The issue about loss and damage reparations. Uh, how is the West receiving such a call from especially African leaders? You know, the loss is actually being borne by African I will be here live from the Joy News studio speaking to our affiliates and correspondents from across Africa with news, analysis, interviews and conversations from the rest of the continent. If you look at successful opinion polls, it always seems to be leading. So the question is if the security, insecurity causes a low voter turnout. Would it impact on the fortunes of the candidates? Join us on Connect Africa on the Join News Channel. Joy Business Van, we feature Santi K, the retail brand changing the way men and women shop for slippers and sandals through its online channels. We'll speak with the CEO, Kwame Adolfori. We want to be the, the brand that comes into mind when people talk about or people think about leather slippers and sandals. We want Santi K to be the brand that would, would resonate to authentic quality leather made slippers and sandals. We want to see Sans-K, um products on the shelves of North American or European shelves um, to put the Ghanaian brand out there. Santi K on the Joy Business Van this Wednesday on TV, radio, online and on ground. The Joy Business Van is powered by Joy Business and supported by Bank, the Pan-African Bank and MTN what are we doing today?
residents of Jaco in the Techiman area are raising concerns over the refusal by the municipal authorities to clear a pile of refuse in the area. The residents say the situation is becoming a nuisance to many who live in the area. There's more in this report. The Sustainable Development Goal 6 speaks about ensuring access to water and sanitation for all. It talks about the need for us to have a clean environment uh, so the people will stay healthy. However, the people of Mount Priscilla and a suburb of the Chiman in the Bono East region are lamenting the negative effects of uh, insanitary conditions within the community. For the umpteenth time, we are here to tell this same story. City authorities, the last time we came here, you know, responded swiftly by evacuating the heap of refuse then. However, a few months later, we've gone back to the same spot where we were before. The refuse has been dumped here, abandoned by authorities, and this is the level we've got into. We've been speaking with some community people on how this is affecting them in terms of their health and uh, sanitation. Our these residents who are currently overwhelmed by the current situation say they do not know where to channel their grievances to after being neglected by city authorities. there are cluster of schools around this every site and the closest of these schools is Aswad Islamic Academy. Peoples of the school have been sharing with us how the abandoned refuse dump is affecting their academic activities. Basma Yusuf is a plus five people of the school. It affects us every day because when the sun scorch on it and it will be blowing us and the smell is unpleasant so we can't, uh, every day we suffer like that so we need you to come and help us. Even though the World Health Organization has declared that the COVID-19 pandemic isn't a global health emergency anymore, pupils of this school, Aswad Islamic Academy, are being forced to still remain in their nose masks, not for COVID-19, but due to the stench that emanates from the refuse site that has been abandoned and positioned just behind the school. There are times school has to close because of the nature of the smell or odor that disrupts their studies almost on daily basis. The refuse down, it affects us a lot. 
and our education. When sometimes when we are staying in class, we are learning, busy learning. The smell, the refuse that releases a bad smell, which causes us to end the class. We move downstairs nearby the tree to get some fresh air, unless we can't continue. Also, in terms of their health, final year pupils who are kept here as bodies have been affected heavily because the refuse site based mosquitoes, which, you know, um, eventually uh, bring about malaria. And uh, as I speak to you, some three pupils of this school are currently hospitalized because they've been diagnosed of malaria. Some of us are in the boarding house and we can't even sleep at the night due to the mosquitoes and mosquitoes too it when it bites you you will contract malaria few weeks ago three of our students have been admitted in the hospital and even this morning one was complaining that she is sick and she is not able to come to school today she is at the dormitory right now aside this uh, house flies are all over during lunchtime, and this is also uh, bringing about another health threat, uh, uh, possibly cholera. These pupils are currently subjected to this, and they are calling on authorities to come to their aid to save their education and then their health. We don't feel comfortable when we are eating. And even a few months ago, we stopped eating the canteen due to the house flies, and even at this time, when we are about to eat the lunch, house flies are on the food, so we can't even eat the food. Basma Yusuf, however, has a passionate appeal to government and city authorities. I want to tell government that please, we beg them that you come and push this rubbish for us. We, we are suffering every day when we come to school. Every day when I come to school, one problem I think is that when I come to school, this refuse them though, I am afraid to fall sick again. That's so I wish I wish government to come and push the rubbish down so we we'll get our freedom. So we'll be free from not falling sick anymore. That's all I wish from government. Thank Until something urgent is being done about this precarious situation, this abandoned refuse site will continue to pose as a threat to public health to the people living here and the thousands of school-going children schooling around. Anna Sabit, Joy News, Tichiman. Meanwhile, back here in the Crown, Minister for Sanitation and Water Resources, uh, Bena Dapang, says uh, Ghana has not recorded any case of cholera and dysentery in the last few years, dating back to 2017. Uh, she's been speaking at the Ghana WASH uh, programs uh, uh, coordinators uh, for coordinators here in Accra. Distinguished ladies and gentlemen, under our visionary leader, His Excellency the President, we've made significant strides in promoting sustainable water and sanitation services delivery in the country, as I've said. Currently, population with access to basic drinking water services has increased from 79% in 2017 to 2018 to 87.7% in 2021. I'm sure the figures will increase when we get through with the projects that we are undertaking. Population with access to improved toilet facilities, including public toilets, 
has also increased from 66% to 80.8% within the same period. The government, through the ministry, is investing an amount of $1.4 billion in several water and sanitation projects nationwide. Some of these projects have been completed and others are still ongoing. It is expected that about 5.3 million people will benefit from these interventions. Government has also partnered with other key stakeholders in the private sector to provide water and sanitation infrastructure. I am elated to announce that as a result of the work we've done in hygiene, since 2017, there hasn't been any outbreak of cholera. Neither has there been any outbreak of dysentery in this country. And that's a huge achievement. We are all to be proud of this huge achievement because other sister countries were not fortunate to have that. I know some countries have lost 2,000 people as a result of uh, cholera outbreak. We always must continue to practice good hygiene because prevention, we say, is better than cure. This framework, as we've heard from the consultants, seeks to provide an inclusive wash sector planning, implementation, monitoring and reporting for sustainable and universal water supply, environmental sanitation and hygiene service, services. It is said that if we all in the world practice effective hand washing and hygiene, we can save a million lives a year. We are committed to ensure that all people have access to adequate, safe, affordable, and reliable basic water service, and also practice safe sanitation and hygiene. And one of the promises of President Eric Founder is to make Ghana uh, particularly Accra, the cleanest city in Africa. We've been finding out from the Minister Helfer uh, with the implementation of that vision of the President. We say wash or sanitation. We do not mean only solid waste. In fact, in international parlance, when you say sanitation, it means toilets, provision. We've come a long way. In Accra alone, we've built 44,000. In Kumasi, we are building 30,000. Apart from what the assemblies are also doing. So you and I know that we've come a long way. Percentage-wise, I will not give a figure to it yet. We are collating all our data. We've been to the field. We will analyze and see where we are going. These days, you don't see heaps of refuse around in town. Areas have challenges. And it's all the uh, uh, arrangement that the assemblies have put in place between them and the private sector to we hope to deepen the collaboration and make sure we have the system of polluter pace where necessary. If you generate your waste, you must be responsible for it. If I'm picking, you must pay me to pick. This is where we are uh, going towards. And for the poor and the vulnerable in slum areas, then something special can be done for them. 
as we are doing vis-a-vis -vis the provision of uh, house. Like I said, it's, uh, this document is giving us the one-stop shop for wash implementations and infrastructure. We need to have to know where we are coming from, where we are and where we want to go. We want to achieve the SDG 6 by the year 2030 and it takes a lot of effort, a lot of teamwork, a lot of uh, institutional uh, brainstorming to make sure that we are on one page with our stakeholders, our DPs, uh, the government leading and the private sector to make sure we achieve our vision. Meanwhile, the World Bank Group is lauding Ghana for its efforts in the area of water, sanitation and hygiene. The launch of the Ghana Wash Sector Development Programme is a testimony of your leadership and the political commitment to really make this happen. So I want to congratulate you, Madam Minister, and your entire team in this country and all the partners who are engaged in this effort to really make this a priority. And Harold, my co colleague, has already pledged World Bank's full support. I just stand behind Harold to tell you the World Bank will be with you all the time to make this possible at every step of the way. The second point I wanted to make is that what I like about this program, uh, I've been reading a lot about this program. I was very careful in listening to the presentation uh, our very respected uh, professor made. And, and as you know, in my role, I travel around the world, from the Pacific to the Caribbean to other countries in Africa, in Europe. I was in Kyrgyz Republic last week with the Prime Minister there to launch the Kyrgyz uh, Water Sector Development Program. But what you have done here is very unique. I think this whole participation of civil society, private sector, the consultative process, bringing all stakeholders together, different parts of the government, Ministry of Education, Ministry of Health, different regional local bodies are engaging in the process. This is quite unique. And back here in the studio, a non-profit group, the Mikea Foundation, is asking for an inter-stakeholder effort at creating more opportunities for the youthful population of Ghana. Chief Executive of the non-profit group, Michael Yaboa, tells Joy News that all hands must be on deck in promoting Ghana's youthful Population. He was speaking at a ceremony uh, to inaugurate a scholarship scheme uh, at the Ghana Institute of Management and Public Administration, Gimpa, here in Accra. A cultural performance heralding an initiative that seeks to provide respite to students at the Ghana Institute of Management and Public Administration, Gimpa. The Mikeyeb Foundation says it is providing scholarship opportunities to an average of about 50 students each per semester, similar to beneficiaries of other public and private universities dotted across the country. The official outdooring of this scholarship scheme brought together students, parents and other stakeholders who underscored the need for a collective support towards creating more opportunities for the youthful population of the country. I am delighted to stand before you today as the CEO of my Kiyom Foundation and an organization that is making a positive impact in our society.
NDC parliamentary candidate for Trouble Constituency and co-founder of Delham Charity Foundation, Dr. John Kofi Helm, bemoaned the failure of leaders of the country to fairly distribute social intervention policies that will inure to the benefit of all citizens. It is very sad that resources are entrusted into our hands for the welfare of our fellow human beings. And we confiscate it for our own benefit. It is very sad. What do you want to gain on this earth, if not because of your fellow human beings? What are you want? What, what do you want to amount a lot of wealth for yourself for? Let's put a smile on the faces of people. One day we will die. We will be laid in state. We want people to file around us and then say, "This man." This woman has lived a very godly life and had impacted on life. In a bid to breach this gap, Chief Executive of the non-profit group MyKiep Foundation, Michael Yeboah, says Ghana has a significant population of its youth having their skills untapped, hence the need to help them gain their full potentials by providing scholarship, among other opportunities. Okay, so the mission of my foundation is to support the orphans, um, help the less privileged people and give scholarship to people who are brilliant but don't have the need. I mean, the finances to, support, to go to school. Because I'm a victim and I've been a victim before. Uh, it wasn't easy coming to us with a single parent. So um, coming up, even being at Gempa, it's, it's not easy. So when I see people in that situation, I felt bad for them. So I was like, no, let me set up something. So I, because of that, I started, I registered a clinic company called Mike Yep Clean and Construction Limited. So through the foundation, the little, uh, the construction company, the little I get, I make sure I invest in people that are, need, people that need resources to also at least, some people need 200, 100 Ghana cities to survive. So the little push we do, it's also changed or 10 different, 10 different people's lives. The Student Representative Council of Kempa says the by the MyCAP Foundation will go a long way to benefit the school and, by extension, help in the socio-economic development of the country. Collaborating with him, with the MyCAP Foundation, will let us do more so we can help more students to attain higher education. Also, when you come to Gempa, we have a lot of students struggling with their fees. More reason why the Samini administration launched the SRC Unyapa scholarship scheme. So, partnering with him, we can help support more students to complete their education in Gempa. Thank you. The Mikey Foundation says it is looking forward to partnering more stakeholders in order to create more opportunities. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. For the youth of Ghana. And some basic uh, and senior secondary schools in the Volta region uh, were flooded after last weekend's downpour. We have more for you. The flooding started with small streams overflowing, seeping into the surrounding homes, schools, and farmlands. 
the residents who had experienced such situations before tried their best to protect their homes and properties. Keta Business School at V and other business schools in the Keta municipality, which are most affected, had to temporarily close down due to the flooding. The headmistress and the senior headmistress of Keta Business College spoke with Joy News on the situation. I'm Matilda Jutefe, the headmistress for Keta Business College. The rains for this year had caused a lot of damage to the school compound. As you can see around, the kitchen is hard hit by the rain because the whole place is flooded. Cooking cannot take place there. So they have to shift from the dining uh, kitchen and come and cook in the dining hall. And they have displaced the students because of the students cannot use the dining hall. And it is having a negative effect on teaching and learning in the school. Now the dormitories to assessing the dormitories is very difficult because they have to walk through the uh, flood before they enter the dormitory. It is very difficult for some of them who are not conversant with this particular situation. Some of them fear water. So even walking on the makeshift bridge to their dormitories is a, a, a problem for them. And some even end up falling into the water, especially my girls. So it's a problem that is negatively affecting the school. The whole problem boils down to the fact that we don't have any proper drainage system in the school. And I would say Keta in general for that matter. If you look around the school, we don't have any gutter. So when it rains, the rain doesn't have anywhere to pass and leave the campus. So they accumulate at places where we have depression. That is why we have this problem happening to us this year. So what I want to tell the government, the general public, and all stakeholders in education is that they have to come to our aid. If we can get some laterites to fill the depressed areas. I think when it rains next time, the water will not collect over there. Then they should also help us get proper drainage systems constructed in the school so that when it rains, the water can pass through those drainage systems and then leave the compound. When we do that, I think the problem will be solved a bit. Listen, it's Nam Ahachi, the senior house mistress of Keta Business College. And we have been having perennial rains every year when the rains are heavy, but this time it is out of order. That is why the school is flooded. And this is where we are standing in front of the girls' dormitory, the old girls' dormitory. And having access to the dorm is a problem now. Our septic tank is even full, and the discharge has entered this water, and we are even afraid of cholera outbreak. And because this place was in uh, depression when the building was being built that is why the rains are like this so we pray in future if the government comes to our aid and the place is refilled and it is level to the building this will stop we'll not be having this problem again thank you a resident of keta has also been speaking with joy news students of keta and mtc we are living in keta but please we have been here for three years now it has been raining but we have never seen something like this before. This is the first time we are seeing a thing like this before. The rain started somewhere around 10 p.m. till this morning. 
woke up and our mattresses on were on the water, like our rooms, everything. You can even see the place very flooded. And we don't know how we are going to cope with this and going to school. Even on our way to school, it's so flooded that we don't know how to go to school. So please come to our aid. We are really suffering. We are really, really suffering. You can see the, the house so flooded and we don't know how to go. We are begging on people to come to our aid. Please, you can see this is our room. Our books are all soaking water. Meanwhile, the Volta Regional Director of NADMO, Ivy Marufemo Amaruga, toured some of the affected areas in the three districts, namely Angloga District, Keta Municipality, and Keto South, and has been speaking with the media. We have gotten and the figures that we have gotten now on ground. Uh, my operations team are already compiling the reports. We are going to send some uh, e uh, uh, reports to the headquarters operation team once we, even before we get to home from here. So hopefully I'll put in a request and then I'm hoping because I've already informed the headquarters of what is happening on my way here. So definitely uh, they are also on standby to get this report and then make some relief available. So definitely some uh, little relief will be given to those who need them. Keta MCE, Emmanuel Gemega also tore some affected areas in the Keta municipality. And ordinarily, you'd expect that pure science facilities will be in the race for the National Science and Mass Quiz. But uh, my colleague, Emmanuel bright is discovering in the Upper West region that that's not the case. New schools are beginning to join the race uh, from known schools and schools that are very much associated with courses such as general arts and home economics. There's more in this report. The national competition has usually been dominated by students with pure science backgrounds. To make a statement at the competition, schools in the Upper West region defied their lack of science facilities to present students with a bit of demonstrated skills in applied sciences. But what are the results? Last sort of questions in the round. Look, when heat is added to a substance, its temperature increases through minus one Islamic girls then f of two is equal to zero through minus one is a false statement at the end of the contest, here are the scores. Ilusinia High has two points. Jamiat Islamic Girls SHS six points. Northern Star Senior High School ten points. And Laura Senior High School has forty-one points. Ulo SHS and Jamiat Islamic Girls SHS, both not a science-based school, had to struggle to gather some points at the end of their contest. And we take you to our top story on illegal mining where the Office of the Special Prosecutor has issued 
a, an arrest warrant um, asking for the arrest of the money you see on the screen. It's there, Charles Bissu. He served as the former secretary to the Interministerial Committee Against Illegal Mining. Fortunately, we understand he's still in the country. He's joining us via phone now. Thank you, sir, uh, for spending some time with us here on the polls on the Joy News channel. Uh, first of all, I'm sure that you've seen uh, this publication by the Office uh, of the Special Prosecutor. Surprised? Yeah, thank you. Yes, I have seen it. Hello, hello, sir. I was just asking if you've seen that and if you're surprised at the publication. Yes, I have, and I am surprised. However, um, I have not gone AWOL and still in the country. Um, I work in the Western region. Um, as we speak, I'm on route to Accra. Um, I will attend the, um, um, the special prosecutor's office. But, you know, in, in any case, I mean, you know, previously um, I had been invited to the various um, investigative agencies as the NIB, which I visited on two occasions, um, the CID, the National Security, pertaining to this, um, that I'm saying, um, um, problems. Um, the OSB's office itself, I've also been there, I think, twice. So it's not um, like um, I am actually um, running away uh, from attending a meeting at the OSB's office. Um, I asked for time to attend, and I think there was a misunderstanding. Um, I actually abide by the laws of this country, and so um, I don't think, um, I mean, defying the creature of um, our constitution or the laws of Ghana um, is the best thing. I've, yes. I've been law-abiding, and so and basically I, I'm not, I've got, I haven't gone missing. I'm in the country, I was in the Western region, so I will attend. And I think that when I attend um, this, I think it would be fair that even redeem my image, it just... We know that for the past uh, four or five years, um, with this Galam this we've been going back and forth um, where um, a lot has happened. So I think this is also an opportunity for me to further redeem myself because, um, as I said, I've been to various uh, regulatory or investigative agencies and I've actually given them um, statements. So I don't think, I do not know what the special prosecutor is going to ask me about. Um, I've always been consistent and I think that um, the consistency with which I've actually uh, turned out or given information to help them in their investigation uh, would be the same uh, at the OSC's office. Well, what, what do you think may have accounted for this? Uh, because obviously the OSP m may not just move out and publish this, this in the media looking for you. Well, I mean, they wrote to me, um, I think, a few weeks ago, and... I got my lawyer to write back to say that um, I wasn't, um, I was actually not um, indisposed and that they should give me a few days and they said um, they were not going to agree to that pressure um, coming on a certain date, uh, which I couldn't because I wasn't uh, feeling well. And then further to later on, I heard of an arrest warrant and then now we have um, this um, coming up. But I think also then then, uh, we're all working in the interest of the, of the country. Um, once I attend uh, the interview, and then uh, we, I think we'll come to um, a conclusion that uh, Ghana must move forward, and um, that's how I'm feeling. Um, I'll build myself to serve, uh, serve the country, and I believe that certain responsibilities uh, come with accountability. Mm -hmm. and I would have myself, and I've never, ever run away from the laws of this country. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I, I think I just have to correct that erroneous impression that 
um, Charles issues a fugitive alone. I'm, no, I'm not a fugitive. I've right. not run away. I did not say I was not going to attend. I said I need a time to attend, which was about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Then there was a misunderstanding and then culminated into that. Okay. I'm taking a look at the charges being leveled against you this time around. Um, still go, goes back to your activities at the uh, Interministerial uh, Committee Against Illegal Mining, charges of corruption. I don't think there's any charge. Right. I don't think, I don't think there's any charge because I have to send the interview first, you understand? So you see, that's, that's the thing um, that's actually transpired now. Once you're invited, everybody thinks that you're a criminal mm. or you've been charged. I think we need to correct that and then educate people. And like I said, I've been to BNI um, and all that but I, I, I now NID, National Security and all that. Some of them, I went in there, they wanted, um, I was a suspect. I rendered my um, statement. And I mean, up to now, nothing has happened. I've been to the police, uh, CID, where I gave um, them my um, statement. And then later on, I even came home and then prepared certain documentation for them to help them in their investigation. So I, I don't think um, we, um, it's, it's a thing of me being charged. I'm not being charged for mm. Any crime. It's an investigation that uh, they are delving into, which I think, yes, the laws of the country allow for that. So, uh, to, to, to correct that, they haven't been charged. Right. Uh, but, but the fact still remains that you're one of the most investigated uh, individuals uh, who then mm-hmm. served on the Interministerial Committee Against Illegal Mining. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how does that make you feel, uh, the fact that you've been subject to uh, not one, not two, I guess the Office of the Special Prosecutor um, and their former regime still investigated you? How does that make you feel? Um, basically, I mean, for me, I think that once you... Um, avail yourself to serve your country. Uh, you're, you're responsible and then you're held accountable for whatever you do. I mean, for me, for it to drag for four years, and, over four years, and um, I mean, uh, up until now, um, I mean, um, I mean, it hurts me, and my reputation, my case, and everything. Because I, I think with, with the laws, we should have timelines in investigating certain matters so that the person can, you know, um, have his or her peace of mind. But then you go in there and then it's, um, Getting the matter and it can take forever. It can take ten years. And now society says that once you've gone in there, everybody sees you as a criminal. You know what I mean? So um, I haven't gone ill. I'm within the jurisdiction. Um, I would attend. But um, to answer your question, yes, I saw that that uh, from 2019, um, an investigation has gone up until now, where I've written about four petitions, three or four petitions, asking as to say. Um, we've got into it, and you get no reply, and then it goes on and on and on and on. That's, I mean, uh, worrying. But then um, it comes with the responsibility that I was given, and, and I have to be accountable for it. But I don't think that's the norm everywhere, or that's what transpires mm-hmm. everywhere. I will avail myself. And, and you seem to have some issues with the um, special prosecutor himself in, in respect of this case that's before him. Uh, you feel his conflict, sir? I'm not going to answer questions um, as to that, you know, um, because the more we're talking, the more people are misconstruing um, our interviews, you see. Um, I, you, I mean, the cross of you calling me was um, ascertained if I've gone away, I haven't. I'm within the jurisdiction. I've also said that when I abide by the rules of this country, and I've also given examples of, of abiding by the rules of this country that I've been to NID uh, on two occasions, the CID, National Security, rendered um, some of them as a suspect, and then nothing came out. Some of them, 
I wrote my statement to support what you're doing. And as a Ghanaian, I think, I think that's part of my civil duty. And I would actually uh, stick to that. But I'm not going to talk about conflict with somebody, you know, I just for the or other authorities or whatever to decide. Okay. Uh, I'll grant you that. Um, but w what we cannot take away from you as well is that you're a politician and you're seeking to run for office. Given what's happening to you now, um, you suspect foul play or you feel it's just a natural process, you and um, grind away. You go around the garden and you're in the back door, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've just answered you. <laughs> you're a politician, you're running for office. That's what no, I'm asking. No, no, that's not about politics. <laughs> Mm. As, um, we are communicating here. Um, you find, ask me a question. I found said, I think you're going around the back door. Um, it's all about being a politician. I mean, I found said the question. Uh, would this deter you from, from the goal you have? For instance, you and the uh, Western region, obviously, as part of your engagements with the grassroots of your party. Are, no. you, are you stopping no. that dream? No, it would not deter me because I know within me that I haven't committed any crime. Um, if even, you know, with the investigation that started in 2019, uh, which is very unfortunate, um, even that, I went, so I was the regional secretary, I've been the regional secretary in the Western Region for eight years, a presidential staffer, um, I've been a government communicator. You see, when I go to, um, for example, go and sit, um, you know, I've been uh, projecting the government and the, MP the MPP government and then defending it as well. If I should go and sit, before um, the television and then start talking when I knew that I have certain iniquities or things that I've done against the state. I think it wouldn't occur well. Um, it would be like insulting the Ghanaian populace. So within me, I know I am very, so much innocent. That's if I had the, um, that boldness to sit on television, sometimes your, your television set and all that to, I mean, uh, project um, our government. So um, I am innocent. I know that. Um, and I do not know what the Special prosecutor is going to ask. It's an investigation. It doesn't mean that uh, you're charged for something. So I will avail myself. Like, but to conclude, I am within the jurisdiction. I haven't been anywhere. Okay, and I will, uh, I will go to the office. Well, it's great to know uh, that. If there's anything you're leaving the people of Ghana with, particularly those who are watching us now, what would you no, want them it. to know? I've said it. I am innocent. I have gone nowhere. I'm within the jurisdiction. I'm going to attend and then uh, whatever information they, they require to. Work, I will provide. All right, then. Thanks for joining Thank us. You. And that's uh, Charles BCU, who's the uh, former secretary to the Interministerial uh, Committee Against Illegal Mining, which is now being subject to um, a series of investigations now by the Office of the Special Prosecutor. We'll keep our eyes on that and bring you some updates. But that's all we have for you here in this package of the polls. And bless us again. Don't forget that later tonight we're bringing you the premiere edition of Africa, uh, Connect Africa, uh, which airs at 6 p.m. on the Join News Channel. Uh, yours truly will be uh, your host or on that program as we discuss matters concerning the African continent. You want to make a date with us. That's all we have for you. We'll see you again next. is Let's Talk Showbiz. Until then, log on to myjoyonline.com. You'll have for the most authentic stories making the rounds here in the country. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on Focus on Africa. I